2: Ta-ta-ta! What a strike. What a screamer. And a fantastic goal. Arsenal in Lines it up.
1: Finds the net. in front. Content creators scramble for ideas as they discover Arsenal don't play football today. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Gunner. Uh, I was reading the fine print. And I believe it said that if the day ends in Y, Arsenal have to play a football match. But in fact, get this, Arsenal don't play football any of the days of this week. That's right. Not Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, not Thursday, nor Friday. Now, I hear the pedants out there saying, ah, but Saturday is a day of the week. Well, you know what? You know what I meant, week versus weekend, no football. And so, gives us a chance to dig into some other topics today. I am thrilled to announce that Aaron West from CBS Sports, host of La Zone, a uh, general all-around great guy, really knowledgeable football person, and someone who creates some of the best football content out there will be joining us in just a little bit. So you'll want to stay tuned for the entire show this time, uh, as opposed to usual when you're just bored and tired of us. If you stuck it out last time, you heard Dr. Raj Uh Provide some really interesting content on injuries and rehabilitation of injuries and managing minutes. And today, you'll be rewarded with Aaron West. So please stick around for that. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. Clyde's on Twitter. Clyde PFC. Hello, Clyde. Hello, hello. Tim's on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And thank you to you people listening because you are, and I mean this with, with all due respect, the greatest humans imaginable. Now, I hear you saying there may be greater humans, and I want to be clear there are not. Do not be fooled. You are the greatest humans imaginable. And we are nearing an announcement of a very, very big event to celebrate next season. But there are details still to be sorted, so I don't want to ruin it yet. But I want to tease you by letting you know that we're we're on the brink. We're on the brink of a big event announcement. So uh, stay tuned for that. Having done all of that, it is now my pleasure to actually start the football conversation. And I think where we can start this, let's Let's start with a little Burnley preview, and then we're going to get to some uh, young player development issues. We're going to talk Balgan and Kedia Nelson and so on and so forth. But it is Burnley at the weekend. There are midweek games. We don't play one. Burnley did. They got housed, as the expression goes. Or actually, no, I, I take it back. Burnley got housed by Spurs. See, this is the problem. Trying to remember. Yeah, they drew with Leicester. Yeah, I know. Trying to remember what happened when. They got housed by Spurs at the weekend and drew with Leicester yesterday. And so, Clive... You know, we owe them one. This this is a game that we, we should be approaching with a great deal of anger and frustration, hopefully. Because if you had to go back and say, you know, what is really representative of the sort of nadir of form in our bad run from November and December, you could argue that the home loss to Burnley when Shaka was sent off is right up there. And this is a chance to really sort of stick it to them. Now, having said that, Burnley at Turf Moor, not an easy team to play against. But as we saw with, with Spurs, if you've got the talent up front, you can still hurt them. So for you, a little bit of a revenge factor here and maybe a chance to measure the distance we've come from that, that really low ebb in December.
2: Yeah, I uh, always say um, styles make football, different styles make football. And this is a style I don't like. You know, lots of heavy-legged... Lever-footing type players, you know, straight lines, four four two. normally have one big forward and a tearaway, so they have Vitro or what's that guy's name, they have Jay Rodriguez and Ashley Barnes, that's the mm-hmm. one, Ashley oh, Barnes, do not oh like my him. goodness, <laughs> he is just, a, he just, he's unbelievable, he's like Luis Suarez, the English version of, just looking for issues, to <laughs> cause issues, and <laughs> He's and, um, injured
3: this weekend, by the way.
2: Yeah, I didn't see him on the last team sheet, so I just think, wow, he's, he's a player I don't like. So, Which
4: which is weird, because like, you love Harvey Barnes to the point where you were almost rooting no, for Leicester no, against us. No, no, <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Harvey, The Harvey Barnes thing, I've made my point. <laughs> I just wanted to show people what a footballer really was and stop getting your heads up your asses over Urzils and your grand Doozies because that's not the way it should be. Right. So um, but the, the game's Barnes moved
4: on. The Brothers really bring out the emotions in you. That's all I'm saying, <laughs>
2: The game's moved on, and they've got, you know, And to be fair to Burnley, they've got one player that he looks quite bright in Dwight McNeil. I know that he's going through the England pathway and he's trained with England and done very well with England, and maybe. He's playing for Burnley. If he's playing for a different team, we would look at him slightly differently. So so back to Arsenal, I think, um, yeah, it was a game that shook me to my boots because they didn't even have a shot and they beat us 1-0, if I remember rightly. And um, that was the moment you thought, okay, this is actually pretty bad. Where are we going? That was the moment for me that sewed me up. Shaka did his thing and I thought, okay, it's time to jump off the Shaka train forever. I'm back, I'm back on it now <laughs> to that, <to> that change. <laughs> this time he's done I should have gone with Elliot the first time he's done I'm not going back I'm not going back but I'm back on the Shaka train again because he's playing well and, uh, and that's football it makes a mess with you but Spurs beat them very well I'll say well they did beat them well but it's transitions they beat them well I watched a bit of the game and there was loads of breaks and um, I'm not sure if we're quite a transition team but we are getting sharper going through the pitch and getting quicker So that'll be interesting. So not a game I look forward to, Elliot. Don't like the team. Don't like the club. Don't like the management. Don't like anything about their culture. Um, So, yeah, bring it on.
1: I mean, it's interesting, right? Because you think of them as as a tough team to break down, doesn't score a lot, but hard to break down. I mean, you look at the table by XG, and, you know, I know everybody loves XG, so uh, always stay for the XG content. But they are, I mean, in terms of the XG they create, they are fourth worst in the league. Uh sorry, third worst in the league t- well, tied with Sheffield. So that gives you an idea. Sheffield United and Burnley both had 24 expected goals. In terms of expected goals against, though, where you think, ah, oh, that's where they're tricky. I mean, 17th? You know? Seventeenth in the league? Uh, sixteenth. So it it's not a good season for Burnley on, on the underlying metrics, you know, for what that's worth. And You know, I do think if you look at how they played against the big teams, they've gotten some results, like against Liverpool, but Liverpool had 27 shots in that game, and, you know, Burnley did a Burnley, right? They just blocked everything. I think this is a game where we can put them under a lot of pressure. The question, Tim, is what's the priority? We've had a full week off. The team is going to be rested for the first time in a while, or at least relatively rested compared to everybody they've been playing against, and to be fair, including Burnley, who just played against Leicester. Um, But he may decide he wants him even more rested for Olympiacos. And, I, you know, I, I don't really have a sense of that. So when it comes to the players who didn't play uh, at the weekend against Leicester, what are you expecting for Aubameyang, for Saka? Uh, I imagine, you know, with Smithrow out, Pepe's probably back in line, but it could be Willian again. I mean, where do you, where do you see Arteta putting his chips?
3: Yeah, I, I think um, Aubameyang and Saka will certainly come back in. Um, to the team. I I think those are just players. Those are, that's, rotation rather than um, a tactical plan based on the attackers that we have. What I'll say on on Burnley, though, I, I do think tentatively this is a really good time to play them. Burnley are, you know, well, everyone in the Premier League has just been on this massive treadmill of games every three days. And this is the line in the sand for Burnley after this, like that stops for them. They've got a week till their next game, international break. Very few of their players are internationals. And then they play basically once a week for the rest of the season they got the smallest squad and they've had a lot of injuries and this is like this is the last game of a really gruelling schedule for them Um, and and I think that's shown in most of their games recently they went down early against Spurs and and kind of gave it up I watched a bit of their game against Leicester they started really really well but they just couldn't sustain it they got tired Hmm. um, and they should have been more than a goal up Um, They should have pressed home that advantage and they just ran out of legs. So I think we're going to be facing a very, very tired side that's got some injuries. And Ashley Barnes is is not quite uh, is not going to be fit for this one. They've got a couple who uh, who haven't trained yet who might go in half fit like Robbie Brady. So, you know, they're they're kind of. This is a good time to get them. I think that after this game, they will probably go on a bit of a run and avoid relegation because they'll be playing once a week again. And they'll get injured players back, so this this for me is a good time. Um, a bit like the Leicester game, I think we got Leicester at a good time, and and this feels like that. I, I think you know the priority should always be the next game. Um, really, in terms of keeping that momentum up. Also, you know, Saka for some like for Saka and Aubameyang, for example, that's a week and a half off. Now they've, they, you know, not played since. So yeah, not only not playing last weekend, but the couple of days before that. So they've had, you know, nine days off effectively. And I think that would very much be with a view to we're playing you for the next four games. So Burnley, both legs of Olympiacos and the North London Derby. Um, I think the, the rotation will be more maybe at the back. um, And, You know, maybe someone like Thomas Partey is someone we have to handle with kid gloves. And then around that, we can make rotations and things like that. We can, you know, we can play Martinelli perhaps in this game or, or play Pepe in one of them or play Willian in one of them. Like we can rotate one you know, let's say Aubameyang and Saka are going to are in line to start all of the next four games, then that leaves another spot open to rotation. And that, that can easily rotate between Willian, Pepe and Martinelli. Um, we can decide what we want to do with Thomas Party We can rotate Cedric and Bellerin. Like, I, I really honestly think in the Arsenal team now, it's really only Tierney, Xhaka, Saka and Aubameyang who are like and, and Leno obviously who are like the absolute yeah these guys are going to are going to play if they're fit mm-hmm. um, and the rest I, I think is really open um to a bit of rotation and they might even rotate Xhaka for this one they might even say well they wound you up last time they'll try and do it again party's fit Sabios is fit why don't we sit you down um for this for this one so that 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 might be, I think, the only bit of prioritization he'd do in the rotation. Other than that, I just don't see him seeing it as anything other than it's a game, let's win it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult in a sense because Olympiakos on Thursday is a huge game away. But then it's the derby at the weekend and then it's Olympiacos again. Um and so he's going to want his absolute most important, most valuable players for those three games, I would think, unless we do something spectacular like win 4-0 away at Olympiacos, which I would take, um, in which case the subsequent Thursday, you know, he might he might get a respite. But it, it begs a question, Paul, I mean, will he try to do what he did last weekend and say, I, I use the guys that are sort of second choice in a lot of positions? They rewarded me with a good performance. They had the energy. I mean, Burnley played on Wednesday and had the first game on Saturday. So you're going to face a weakened, tired Burnley team. Maybe a fresh backup selection of Arsenal players is still more than enough for them. And I mean, you know, you're still talking about players of the caliber of Martinelli and Lacazette and Pepe, who, you know, is sort of first choice stroke, second choice and um, you know, maybe a Sobios comes back in who's no slouch. Um, you know, if it's Cedric and Tierney, you know, that that's a choice that he could make, or he could go Bellerin and Cedric and, and give Tierney rest. These aren't these aren't bad players you're picking from. I just um I just think it's sort of at a tipping point because if he plays the first choice against Burnley, the, the you know, the very absolute first choice, and plays them against Thursday again Thursday to Olympiacos, then you do sort of run into the situation of maybe not quite being as fresh for the Derby as you'd like. So Am I overthinking this one a little bit, or do you think it's it's gonna be another mixed lineup?
4: Um, so I mean I think he has a tough choice, and I think to be honest, I think we're all seriously underestimating Burnley. Um Burnley's chief weapons are fear and surprise. And ruthless two chief efficiency.
1: We- oh. no, they're three chief weapons. We're do we're doing a Spanish Inquisition joke here.
4: Um. Yes, I, I'm okay. getting to it. Okay. Amongst their chief weapons are fear, surprise, ruthless efficiency, and a fanatical devotion to Nick Pope. Any good? <laughs>
1: ah, ha, ha. I see what you did. I see what you did there. Uh, if you want to look up the Spanish Inquisition skit from Monty Python, uh, the actual lines of fanatical devotion to the Pope. Um yeah, yeah. But to we, Nick Pope, it, I like it. It broke
4: out in our conversation during the week, you and me and and giant gooners. So and you, you executed topical.
1: it really well on Twitter, and I sort of stepped on your toes and, and prevented the perfect execution. Uh, here. I As should always. I should say, by the way, happy birthday to Bern Leno, uh, celebrating his birthday today. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, setting aside Burnley, yeah. I can't explain it for the, for the record, but there's something about Burnley where they've kind of become the stoke for me in the current yeah. Premier League. Yeah, yeah. And so I just, I have a terrible distaste for them. Um, mm-hmm. I'd really like to see us hammer them. I also think, though, to some extent, there may be an argument that some of the quote unquote second string type players match up a little better against Burnley in some yeah. respects. I mean, do you think that there's an argument for that?
4: Yeah. I mean, they get their goals from aerial presence. So uh, maybe Pablo Mari sticks around for this one. Um, w- Wouldn't hurt. I mean, uh, Gabrielle's pretty decent, too, in the air, but uh, Pablo Murray might be a good matchup in this, and he's mobile. I mean, uh, I was looking statistically at Burnley to see if they do anything particularly interesting that stands out. They top the league per 90 in offsides, sides, so, I mean, they do use the two front guys, Chris Wood and whoever they partner him up with. You know, they work hard, they run around, <clears throat> they don't score many goals, but it's all knockdowns, knock it out to the the wide midfielder running forward who's going to bang in crosses. So we've got to keep it tidy at the back, not be giving away stupid free kicks, etc. Um, and, you know, limit the number of set pieces, crosses. Um, they're obviously going to go long, but uh, you can see Marie maybe be playing. <clears throat> um, I wonder if Holding might be ready to be back, but the, the centre-back pairings pairing would be key because you don't want... Uh, you don't want any errors creeping in. Chaka needs to keep a cool head. I think Chaka will be played because they, because Arteta and Chaka won't want to make an issue of this among themselves. I, I hear Tim's point, but they'll probably use that as the rationale in some ways for, uh, for why Chaka should play, and he's just got to keep a cool head, and they all do at the back and not give them anything easy. Um, I mean, They are pretty hard-working. They do press uh, on the front lines, but, I mean, they're just unremarkable, so I don't know that you do anything special or different. They struggle to score a goal or more than one goal, so basically your tactic has to be to get out there, keep it reasonably controlled at the back and go and score two, three goals where where uh, you, you take it out of their hands because they just can't create. And what they can, what they do create at the moment, they don't score and finish. Uh, they're really struggling for anybody to to put up any goals. I think Chris Wood did something like four goals or something the last time I looked at it um, <clears throat> as their top scorer. So they're mm. struggling. And a, a lot of their goals will come from set pieces, crosses, certainly aerially. Um, so if you can keep it tight at the back and, and don't don't make too many errors in midfield to give them chances to launch balls in, then I don't think it really, like any of our, our options we talked about, make sense. I, I like Tim's theory as usual that, you know, maybe this is a chance to go on a run in terms of getting consistency up front for the next four games <clears throat> and everybody's reasonably well-rested but it kind of shouldn't matter too much. Uh, interestingly, Burnley was the last kind of, it was 13 days before we introduced, it was December 13th, I think. So it was 13 days before we introduced playing with a 10 and we had Lacazette as a 10 in this game. And, uh, yeah, it it was quite an interesting snapshot in time. The Chaka thing, Aubameyang headed in, headed in the own goal. It was just like, what a miserable fucking time. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, how things have turned around, hopefully.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's an interesting sort of measuring stick for how far we've come. I mean, they've scored yeah. 19 goals this season. Only Sheffield United have fewer at 16. That This is a team we should be able to just put a lot of sustained pressure on them and not worry so much about getting caught. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get caught, uh, but you'd like to think that this is a game to go play with 65% possession and have most of it in their final third and just keep the pressure on them. Clive, the manager was asked about top four this week, and while I think that feels fanciful, uh, certainly top six is there. You know, I've started to wrestle with the question of what's possible this season and where we can finish. I I think I'm starting to come around to the idea that it is a lot more important for us to finish in the top six than I have given it credit for. I... I m- there are many people listening to this that were never even Arsenal fans in a period where Arsenal didn't have European football. Um, you know, either weren't alive for it or weren't Arsenal fans yet. And... I think it is more important than maybe we appreciate economically in terms of prestige, in terms of where we sit in just sort of the conversation, of European football for us to have Europa league football, at least, you know, if not champions league and with another tier below the Europa league developing to you know, prevent you from being able to just completely save yourself games and travel. Um, I I don't think we can be capricious about this. I understand the argument that not having Europe allows you to focus on the league, but I think when you have a big squad, not having Europe can also create challenges of disharmony in the sense of players just not getting minutes and not staying sharp and not being in the plan and suddenly you're not signing new players because you need a smaller squad and you know maybe your young players don't have a path to to showing that they can play for the first team. So I think there's a lot of challenges that be presented to this club to miss out on European football. So in, in your view, what is still realistic? And do you, I know you haven't always agreed with me that we need to be in the Europa League. Are you willing to revisit that?
2: Um, we, well, the club might need to be in there. I, I, my personal view is I'd like to see us focus on the league next year and getting the Champions League. But it's not about being right. It's just my, it's my personal view, really. But there's another side to this. Um, and maybe being in the Europa League does have a lot of weight from a sporting perspective and Arsenal's badge perspective. I think if Arsenal not to be in Europe for the first time since I don't know when, it's not a good thing for our outward perception. And also when you look at the game, the game is going through obviously a period where everyone's lost a hundred million quid. Right. So and football being football and owners being owners, this is a time when the game is going to get reshaped. And for Arsenal to be out of Europe and to be deemed a smaller club at a time when the game could take reshaping, particularly a Champions League contract, I think is up in 2023. Um, So that could, you want whatever happens in a game, you want to be in a strong position and your coefficient's got to be strong. So there's that side of things. My selfish side, purely from a squad building perspective and, we know there's going to be up to nine or ten players potentially either leaving or being retained. Some of those we may not want to be retained, but they may be retained for retail value. You'll lose a lot of players from the squad, and I just feel that it could be a challenge. And I don't think the squad will be big next year. I think it'll be smaller. There could be a challenge for for the major. So my personal view is focus on getting to the top four. But there's the other side, and uh, I, my Elliot, I think. Even though I don't like the Europa League, um, I think it's probably more important than I give it credit for. And I think the future of the club is more important than what Clyde Palmer thinks about and how many games we have, how many Thursdays we have off, etc. I think it's very important we don't fall further behind, not only from a position in Europe point of view, but perception point of view. I think it's key because when you're looking to get players, you need to be showing them that you're still serious and you're still selling them something. And I asked myself the question the other week, we got a, we got a first, first-time manager. What are we selling people at the moment? So, you know, I think it's the key thing and I think it's important that we're selling them a level of progression. So I see both sides of it and I'm not sure which one I actually fall on. I actually don't mind up to a point, but I don't think we're in a position in the league that's truly reflective of how good we are and how poor some of the teams are ahead of us. I think that will sort itself out in the next few weeks. I think we'll catch a few. I think a few are lagging, and watching these games as you all are, um, I'm not seeing many of these teams in form, and I feel as though we are. But it's like golf, right? Every time you think you cracked it, you end up in the trees, and every time I get these teams, I start to believe in them. A walls comes along, right? And um, that's what we got to be um to be aware of.
1: Mm. And I mean, I think I think it's difficult. Uh, if you're interested, we did our Premier League roundup for patrons yesterday and had a really interesting chat about a few things, but the feature chat was sort of about the football always being on, what that means for viewership, for fans, for the future of football, but also for the teams contesting the games right now. And I, I think it is hard to evaluate the quality of teams because so much of these games right now feels like it's contested based on freshness, fitness, energy, because of the, the sheer fixture congestion. And... Uh, So, you know, again, I mean, not to be redundant, I think we've been handed a break not playing this week, obviously. But I I think in terms of us catching other teams, so much of what happens down the stretch is going to be which of these teams can manage the fixtures. And certainly the teams that remain in Europe will will struggle, and the teams that remain in domestic cup competitions will struggle a bit with that. The teams with bigger squads should have an edge if they use those squads. And I'd actually argue, as weird as it sounds, while we may not have a first-choice squad that's ready to compete for a title or anything... We have a big squad filled with enough talent to rotate. We saw that against Leicester, and that can be a huge edge, maybe an edge we want to use as, as recently or as as uh, soon as this weekend. Let's move off the league. I look. I mean, I agree with you, Clive. It's it's going to obviously just play out over the rest of the season. We'll see where we finish. But I do think that it's the next couple of weeks when you look at the fixtures that's going to tell us what's possible because you know Spurs, West Ham, Liverpool on the horizon. You get through that. Our run-in is very quote-unquote easy, but we're going to have to be positioned for it to matter. So we're going to have to get some results from some games that are really tricky, and that includes teams that are directly ahead of us. Um, Tim, the manager's been asked about some young players, and he was asked about Balogun, he was asked about Enkedia. and I, I think this leads into the conversation I want to have for the balance of the pod, because it's, it's a topic that I think is of particular interest right now as we start to build our squad you know was asked about Balogun staying there's rumors that he wants 40 grand a week Arteta still feels that there's a chance and that you know the, the player will stay asked about Enkedia, he basically said it's my fault it's my fault he's not getting minutes he's a great guy trains hard works really well love working with him it's my fault not finding him minutes i i do wonder if this was a case where a technical director needs to have a word in the ear of the coach you know having tapped him on the shoulder last summer maybe and said hey i know you really like working with this kid He's done a good job. Let's move him on. Let's make a path for the next guy. Let's let's be mindful of our, our squad numbers here because since Europa League group stage has gone and Ketty has found it hard to, to get paths to minutes, and now with Aubameyang as a center forward option, he's behind Oba. He's behind Laka. Maybe he's behind someone like Martinelli. We see at Manchester yep. City, you can play without a striker altogether. So the question of whether you need a third or fourth choice striker um, is really becoming more remote. So... How do you evaluate the situations with those two in particular and maybe the question of whether Arteta just let his heart get the better of him um, in terms of what he's done with with Enkedia?
3: Yeah, I, you know, I, I said in January, I, I absolutely think we should be putting in Ketu up for sale. I think um, personally, there are some misconceptions about January being an awful time for the market. I don't think it is in certain scenarios. Mm. So I don't think it is for a club like Arsenal who are looking for a competitive edge. I think you're sometimes a club like Arsenal is more likely to get the big player in January. Um, a Bamian, anyone, um, for example, but when perhaps all the other teams going, Oh no, January's crap. We're not looking. Um, that's when you kind of, that's when you can, you can swoop in. Let's not forget our shabbing.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Greats. January signing. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah. Reyes. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've, we've spent some big money in January before because we've nipped in when Howl everyone strength. else going, yeah, well, yeah. Before everyone else goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll revisit that in the summer and a club looking for a competitive edge like Arsenal. I think January is a good time to buy if you can. Um, But I also think it's a great time to sell a striker that you don't want because uh, or that you don't need because that is when teams are desperate for strikers. That is what all of the teams who are in relegation trouble in the Premier League, the first thing they want is a striker, someone to score goals. And that, that is a brilliant time to sell, in my view. Now, that that's more of a general comment. I'd, like, I don't know for sure that there was lots of money on the table for Nketiah in January. Maybe there wasn't. But, I mean, Arteta did say publicly he's not for sale, which... Just baffled me at the time. I just thought, why? We've got loads of attackers, like you know, and and he's going to have one year left on his deal in the summer, um, and and this is yeah, this is where I think a technical director should be stronger. And really, what you know, a technical director doesn't have to say to Arteta, no, you must sell him. I don't like him. What what you say is you go, okay, you like him, um, do you want to give him a new contract? Because that means you can't buy another striker. If you do that, that means that that's gone that position. So, um, you know, what do you really want? Do you like, if you want to sign him to a new contract, brilliant, we'll, we'll get cracking now and we'll do that. Um, no, you don't. Okay. That means that you don't mind selling him. So we're selling him, you know, that that's the kind of, um, you know, and you don't have to give it as like an ultimatum like that. It's just we've got X spaces for strikers. Is this guy taking a space, um, that you want him to take? That's, that's really the decision you should be making. And uh, I, I was I was just baffled. Like, whatever the market reality is, I was just baffled by this idea that we couldn't possibly sell in Ketia in <clears throat> yeah. January. Um, yeah, I, I I really, really don't get it. The Balogun one, I, I think, is maybe a little bit more complicated. Um, you know, for, I, I don't really have any idea. Like, I've seen the kind of the 40k a week figure banded around. I don't really have any idea um, about value anymore, I don't think, in football. I, I don't know if that that, that I was just time. thinking
4: today it's like Bitcoin right what 40k for Balogun, is that good bad terrible it's like what's the value
3: yeah yeah exactly like I I, I don't I just don't know what the going rate is for someone who's had like three substitute first team appearances but you think might blow up one day I've, I've got no idea so um i like i don't really know whether that's something we should buy on or not but i suspect it's not about money um mm. with Balogun, quite frankly I, I think that's about opportunities
1: yeah it's funny i saw scott put it as imagine if we we're buying a 20 year old Balogun for 5 million pounds and putting him on two, 20 grand a week that's the equivalent. And I think thinking of it that way is interesting. Would you take a punt yeah. on that player? I mean, look, no one's going to know his talent better than we are. <laughs> you would hope. We've seen him mm-hmm. his whole career. So the club will know if he's worth that or at least suspect whether or not he's worth that. And I you know, I certainly think if Lacazette's not getting a new deal, Paul, then then Stryker does become a bit of a question. We know Aubameyang's going to stay, but he's getting older. Succession planning is important. I think, and I, I could be wrong, I don't think Nketiah is the future at the position. You know, I I saw someone today say, you know, I don't understand the hate. Realizing that saying a player isn't the level we want isn't hating him. You can be an exceptional footballer, one tier down from Arsenal, and that doesn't mean you hate him. I mean, I look at Alex Iwobi, who was very good for us, and moving him on was the right thing. We got a good fee. I don't think he quite had... The, the qualities we needed at the position. It opened a path for someone like Saka to play and some other players. And, you know, I mean, all right, if you want to say, oh, but he could have been a great connective player for us, he could have tried that 10 position. Well, we didn't use him like that. He was used as a wide forward who got no goals and assists. So anyway, moral of the story is, Paul, that, that yeah. succession planning becomes important and selling players doesn't mean you hate them. It just means there's a level you believe you can go above that. So, sure. you know, for me, the answer is to move on in Kedia. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we missed a window to do it and that yep. now Arteta can say whatever he wants, and I know he really does rate the player. He he turned down an available loan for him wanting to keep him at the club, but I don't see how he gets the minutes. So if sure. we believe that Enkedia is going to move on,
4: mm-hmm. and
1: and we're not sure what's going to happen with Balogun, I mean, is 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 it kind of sensible in this case to maybe give Balogun a contract slightly richer than you might like with the idea that with Enkedia and Lacazette both going, and Martinelli maybe kind of being a center forward option that that Balogun can for next season get into a path to being an option there as we try to figure out what's going to be the post Obameyang future at that position
4: so at the like, most
1: important position you could argue
4: <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of moving parts there though will La- uh, Lacazette actually leave in the summer we might want to sell him but he's got a year left on his contract will he want to leave um, I mean, I think we were trying to sell him this summer. Uh, just gone, and he's still here. And uh, I don't. I think we've noticed a lot of players that we said we were going to sell in the previous summer. Were I know it was COVID and all that stuff, but it it does seem like there's more and more of a tendency to players for players to say, you know what, it's actually pretty comfortable here, and I'm not leaving. <clears throat> Unless something great comes up, so well that doesn't some, mean
1: we're going to give him a new deal just because he wants to stay. No,
4: no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying. But he has a year left, right? So he might see it out. So we might have him next season. So we'd have our two strikers, whether we want them or not, right? We'd have Aubameyang, and Lacazette, and uh, that doesn't open up a new spot. Um it does seem like Arteta likes Eddie. I know lately when he's the, the he hasn't had a, a look in uh, close lately, but in the not too distant future, he gets a few minutes here and there. And, you know, he was underwhelming, but he was very much doing the Lacazette version of a striker at that point. He In the same way we say, uh, uh, I think we we generally agreed that Pepe deserved a chance to play with our Uh, our new structure with the tens um, and suddenly he starts to look good. Eddie hasn't had a chance to play striker like Aubameyang gets to play striker where he's running off the shoulder when he's running in behind, where he's using his movement to push into the penalty area, where he's arriving for chances. That which we know is actually Eddie's strength. I think he did. He, he toiled manfully doing the, uh, nine and a half roll, the false nine roll, um to you know reasonable levels. Uh, he, he, you know he hasn't looked that exciting in recent outings, but last season he looked somewhat useful to us doing a job but not finished finishing things off. He's a finisher. Um, and Yang lately has been about running into the channels, getting into positions, arriving, getting on the end of the of chances. That's what Eddie's strength is. But, but
1: can I ask you a question about that Paul? Like don't we yeah. run the risk of talking about football in such a way that the only way we can ever dispose of a player is when we can 100% without a shadow of a reasonable doubt conclude that we've done everything in our power to review every possible opportunity for them and only then foreclose that they're not good enough. Like there isn't that kind of certainty in football. At some point you have to make a player evaluation and you got to you got to live with it. You have yeah. to live with it. I mean, Alex Aoki could have been the best number ten we ever yeah. had because he was such a good connector. We never gave him that option, and you know what? It's sure. fine. We, you know, we now have Smith Rowe. We have Odegaard on loan. Sack is playing great. Like, I, I guess you're I'm, right. And Kedia might. I'm not be, against that. Right. He might be better in what you're describing. The, the true number nine ahead of a number ten in the four two three one. But like, if the evaluation is he's probably not at the level. Okay. There's there's always a ten percent chance we're wrong about that. But the clubs have to be more. Have to be more um, d- d- uh, decisive. Otherwise, you wind up with situations like what's going on with Reese Nelson, which is like, who the fuck knows what we're doing with that kid? You know, like, we just haven't done yeah. anything. We we've made no, no I'm decision at you. all.
4: I'm fully, <laughs> I'm fully with you. I'm. Not, I wouldn't argue against that position. Um, and I suspect Eddie may not be at the level. But to be fair to, when we ask, why does Arteta like? like was it not you just a little while ago saying that? Uh, Arteta seems to like Eddie. Um, He adores
1: Eddie. I don't think he has spoken more effusively positively about any player like he has with Eddie and Kedia. There's no doubt about that. So when I
4: look for the reasons why, maybe it's because he sees that Eddie is actually more of an Aubameyang-type striker, mm. and if that's what we move to, we need a, back, a backup for Aubameyang, which in a way, Lacazette isn't. He's he's a totally different kind of striker. Maybe that's what he likes about him. Am I saying we shouldn't sell Eddie if we get a good offer? No, hell, it, it, uh, unless Arteta really knows something we don't. Um, I mean, I've always been an Eddie fan, and I think he has uh, a great ability for doing exactly what it is we prize Aubameyang for. Um, But what level is he at? We don't really know. We haven't seen him playing in the first team in that role yet. Maybe Arteta absolutely loves what he sees, and that explains it. But I'm I'm all on board with selling Eddie, clearing the space. I mean, the interesting thing is Eddie and um, Balogun, as I think we've talked about before, uh, as I understand it, have the same agent. Um, so they're kind of got the same agent vying for the same spot. And what we should be offering Balogun, I don't think, is a bumper contract. We should be offering him the chance to play. And he, if he's half the player he thinks he is and has the confidence he thinks he he uh, that he should have in his ability, he, that should be enough for him because... Arsenal, at the end of the day, pays really well and supports its talented young players. He'll get it. Jesus, Willock got 44 appearances last year. If you're, if he's as good as he thinks he is and he's ahead on his sh- shoulders, Arsenal's job is to sit down with him and not throw all of the money at him. It's to say, look, this is a very reasonable contract. What we will do for you in the summer is here's our plan. Eddie's going to go out and loan. This spot opens up for you. We think it's your turn in this spot. And maybe the difficulties and the reason Arteta's talking positively in the media, but we're confused about the messages here. Maybe it's Balogun's off and Arteta's putting a good spin on it. But maybe he just can't talk about all these things yet because they still mm. kind of got to massage yeah. Eddie and line things it. up. They have the same
1: agent, too. so
4: Yeah. <laughs> it's tricky. And, and um, they're kind of awkward, but they got to wait till maybe... April, maybe they all see the way this is playing out, and we don't know. That's one yeah. possible scenario. It's mm-hmm. actually, you know, these things are going to fall into place hopefully, and they're not going to solve it by throwing money at it, which means they got to throw money at a bunch of other people. Maybe holding he, he, is in there. He's yeah. got to
1: make a decision. It's that simple. He cannot yeah, yeah. loan if he loans yeah. any Enkedia out in this, then I, we we don't know what we're doing at that point. the The club really needs to have a word with itself. Any Enkedia be twenty two this summer. You don't loan 22-year-olds out and then bring them back. It just doesn't yeah. work that way. At some yeah, yeah. point, you trust your evaluation, you get a good fee, and you move forward. The, sure. Clive, Clive, you always say it. You don't love any players. There's always more players. You know, when a 19-year-old, 18-year-old Bukaya Saka breaks through, he breaks through. When Smith Rowe comes into the squad against Chelsea in the middle of a terrible season and flashes that talent, he breaks through. When Gabriel Martinelli breaks into the squad as a teenager with, with no background playing at this level, he breaks through. When you're 22, it doesn't mean your career is never going to happen and, and you won't find that level. Jamie Vardy is an example of a guy who developed later in his career. There's there's lots of strikers who have. But ultimately, I don't think loaning out 22-year-olds is the business we want to be in. I mean, Do you think the club has a little bit of an issue with with decisiveness, I mean, are you concerned at all about how we've handled like Reese Nelson and and what we're doing with with Nketia, or do you think it's just simply a case that the squad has been a little imbalanced and we've had a lot of young players right around the fringe of the of the first team, and we're trying to manage that?
2: Yeah, no, I do think the club's got issue with decisiveness for probably for about eight years now, but it's okay. <laughs> what it is. Um, let's, let's take it one by one, right? So Reese Nelson, he. Um, He should have gone on loan in January, in my opinion. I'm not sure what the story is. Was there a good option for him or did he say no to a good option? I'm not too sure. Um, I saw him play under 23s and that flips nicely to Balogun. I saw a couple of games that were online. I saw the Chelsea one and it's quite interesting watching that game because Reese Nelson was by far the best player on the pitch. I mean, it was like watching Neymar. It was stupid. It was Mm -hmm. a joke. He should not be playing at that level. And Balogun looked quite okay at that level. I know people are so quick to judge him, but it's difficult judging youth players. You have to think about the maturity of the player and the maturity of the players he's playing against. There's something that, you know, I've been involved in Academy Football and watching Academy Football for many, many years. When you see a player, you have to think about something called biobanding. Look at their physical age and look at where they are and try to put them in players, with players that are physically at the same level as them. And when you see players like... Um, Alligan, who's obviously physically advanced, he can destroy the lower level football. Mm-hmm. We get this impression of him. There's some videos out there already doing under 21 football a couple of years ago, literally running for the team and scoring. And we see him against men, that's not happening. And his last performance, I think, was Southampton in the Cup. Look at the two chances he missed in that game. It was about missing chances, it was the decision that he, that he took in that game. And we got beat. And it was a, he had the key chances. I don't think he's been seen since. And it was just the rashness, the fact that that's the thing you look for. You look for, can he cope with leading our line? He's a good player, right? He's England 21 record scorer. Again, at his level, youth level, he is a killer. Right? So he needs to develop into a man. So you get some people who are 21, 22, but their biological age is like 19. 'Cause their maturity's not quite there yet. You get some people like Saliba, who looks like a twenty-eight year old at eighteen. Right? So it's a different type of thing, and physically he looks different as well. There's a biological age, physically and the emotional age. Eddie looks emotionally quite young, not ready to carry the load yet. He should have gone loan in January. They probably weren't sure about Martinelli's health because he tweaked his knee on that around Christmas time and they probably held on to him and I think that's why Arteta said, It's my fault. He probably said you'll you'll get minutes. And he suddenly realised, logjam, I can't give you minutes. He should be on loan right now, boosting his price or finding an option for himself in the summer. That's what should happen. On a the contractual type of things, um, I veer on what Arsenal are trying to do, which is incentivizing. him, um, give him a number, and don't forget who his peers are. His peers are Saka, Nelson, Eddie, Willock, maybe Maitland-Niles, but probably he's further ahead as a senior player. You've got Miguel Aziz is doing his contract right now. There's a number there that suits him to where the others are and what they've done and what they could do. And that number the club probably knows. And he wants a higher number. If he wants to a higher number, then that's a problem for the club because the whole structure and everything we're trying to introduce is going to get smashed. You're going to get smashed for what? For a player that's had three games against men? Mm. And they're <clears throat> League One players? No one's seen him playing 90 minutes in the Premier League. No one's seen him fatigued against men. No one's seen him in the second half what he looks like. No one's seen him get kicked how he responds. No one's seen him stuck out on the left wing for too long. No one's seen him playing a team without 10 men. What do you do then? No one's seen him go behind in the game and see how he reacts can't lead the team. But we're ready to anoint him as something. I'm prepared to wait and I, and I love the player. But you know me, I don't love any players that makes mm. sense. Mm. And I do that because I no. need, <laughs> because I, because I want to see him. You yeah. Can't see him if you love him. Right. And I look at this guy and he's smashing the kids, but with men, I think he's got potential. I really do. I'm not just dismissing him, but just wait, just wait. People wait to see what he looks like because there are other issues which make a play out. And yeah. you could say well, you're driving the club hard. Sorry. That last thing you're driving the club hard. And you didn't sign your first contract, timely enough, your scholarship contract. You held on to the last moment there. You're holding on to the last moment here. There are other things that make a footballer and makes an employer a club. Eddie Nketiah is the example of somebody. Arteta, Arteta loves how he works. He loves him as an example, as a trainer, as a professional. And that's what makes a player as well as what he does on the pitch. So I hope it works out for both of them. I wouldn't mind seeing him a third striker next year, but it's up in the air, and it doesn't feel like it's going to be a smooth transition.
1: Yeah, and I want to be clear. I, I am not going to shed a tear if Fuller and Balogun does not stay at Arsenal. Not because I don't think he's good. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Um, What I do know is we have to be decisive about how we manage these young players. I mean, I said Eddie and Kennedy is going to be 22 at, at the end of this season. Joe Willick is going to come back to our club from loan at 22. Ainsley Maitland-Niles is going to come back to our club at 24 years old. I mean, he's the same age as Kieran Tierney. And Kieran Tierney is a true, solid professional. Meanwhile, we can't start games without 19-year-old Bukayo Sacker, 20-year-old Emma Smith-Rowe, and feel confident. I think you see what the really special talent is. So, Tim, I'll finish with you on this. I mean, when you you look at this crop, all of them are talented. Mm Mm-hmm it's not a question of saying any of them are bad or good. It is a question of determining where the level has to be, being decisive about it, moving players on, not being in perpetual loan mode because you yep. don't, you don't uh, determine the future at a position that way. You don't recoup the resources you need to, to strengthen your team that way. I mean, I, the Reese Nelson one really sticks in my craw a bit because this is a guy who is a Jaden Sancho comp when he was in Germany, who is now, I honestly couldn't tell you what's going on with him. He's playing at 21 years old in, in the reserves. Um, and, and, he, and he seems kind of nowhere. So is this summer really the the moment of reckoning for a crop of youngsters that no matter what we we do with them will wind up being one of the great crops we've had? I mean, Smith is yeah, in. Yeah. Saka is in. Martinelli's not a, an academy kid. You know what I mean? We will, you know, and Kedia has played for the first team and been valuable for us at times. So has Joe Willick. But... Is it is it the summer of reckoning for this crop? Willock, Nelson, and Baligan, Saka, or I mean, f- sort of. Some make it, some don't.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and and really, uh, in in um in a non pandemic context, it might have been last summer um, as well. Like we got Saka and Martinelli signed up last summer. You know, hugely. Really, really, uh, really, really good to get those guys tied down. You know, uh, during the summer in had two years left on his contract, right? And we decided not to extend. So that kind of already shows you what we're thinking um, about him and and Willock going out on loan. I, I just don't think... Um, you know, I, I wrote something today about my theory for why Martinelli's not getting minutes is because he's quite an instinctive player and Arteta wants, like, really structured um, kind of pattern play in attack. And I think he just wants to coach some of the rough edges off Martinelli a little bit. And, you know, then you look at someone like Willock and you just kind of think, well, Willock, Willock is also, like, quite an instinctive, you know, off-ball player. Like, he just, however good he becomes, he just doesn't really fit arteta's uh quote-unquote vision i don't think and and sending him out on newcastle on loan to newcastle by the way is absolutely fine that is a good club for him i think that's a good fit with the way they play football um i think that's a proper build his value loan move um and i i think we'll be able to sell him in the summer without too many problems um even given the situation so so yeah it will be and and you know what great like yeah like you say that would be a really really good crop even if you know if, if it means we sell loads of them for good money and we raise some money to buy better players, brilliant. That is exactly what it's all about. When you look at like Project Youth, how many of those players were unqualified successes like Fabregas, Van Persie? cliche you have to say um you know danielson and song were first team players so you have to say they were successes but but what happened with that generation like who did we get paid for like van persie and fabregas went for nowhere near their value um cliche went for peanuts as well and then you had guys like bentner and danielson who like bentner ran his deal down we had to pay danielson off to leave song uh, all right song we got you um, went we, to barcelona, barcelona stupid yeah where, where barcelona where are he are tried stupid. to take a trophy
1: and, away from a cancer survivor <laughs> uh, look it up and
3: <laughs> like yeah and so you know we kind of oh, i mean i say we got away with that one that's a, that's a good sale um i don't think we're going to be selling like joe willocker i don't think barcelona are going to be buying anyone quite frankly but you know what i mean like that'd probably be the is, price range is, they could shop in to be fair yeah well,
2: yeah do you think it, that project youth was a massive success don't forget we didn't pay much for these guys.
3: Exactly, they lifted
2: yeah. our club to the sky. They kept us in the Champions League year on year. I know the competition was different at the time, but from a from a spreadsheet perspective or a balance sheet perspective, we spend very little. Bring them in, train them up, keep us in Champions League. Eighty million quid. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was the following period yeah. that screwed us, not that one.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, frittering the money away when we had it. So yeah, absolutely. And and what we must do now is, you know, we've we've given Saka the contract. Great. We've given Martinelli the contract. Great. I hope we're talking to Smith Rowe about giving him a better contract, and then the others just say okay. Thank you. You've got us through a couple of years. You've got us through some cup games where we've not had to use, um, you know, in, in Ketia, Thank you. We haven't had to use a Bamiyang in the Europa League or the early rounds of the Caraba- Carabao Cup. Cheers. And then make room for the next crop. Make, make room for the, you know, Ben Cottrell or Aziz or, or whoever else um, is, is there waiting to come through. Uh, or Joel Lopez, the left back. You know, th- th- this is what it's all about. That is successful. Um, that is a successful mm. use of, of of your academy players. Um, use them to regenerate funds. And, and I just hope that Edu, like, don't get me wrong. I don't think when the summer comes, Arteta will be that reluctant to get rid of someone like Willock or or Nketiah, certainly not Nelson. So perhaps I'm being a bit harsh on him. But I, I do hope Edu kind of says, look, this, this is where we raise the money to get you the play- – and Maitland-Niles, you know, potentially, this is where we raise the money to get you the players that you really want. And then we'll bring in the next the next crop and see if there are any, um, any Sackers or Smith-Rows in there.
1: Yeah, and look, the one thing I will acknowledge is these players are cheap relative to other players in terms of what we're paying them in wages. And so Eddie-
3: – yeah. Eddie Nketiah is a lot cheaper than Lucas Perez, put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yeah.
1: A lot. I think he makes like 800,000 pounds a year. You know, I don't even know if he makes a million a year. Like, the, the fact of the matter is, the club may have looked and said, resources are really tight. These academy players are good enough. And for the time being, we can kick the can down the road, keep them, and the wage bill stays manageable. I don't know. I mean, it, maybe it was a plan. It doesn't look like a plan the way it's gone, but maybe. I mean, you look at Alex Iwobi, right? A very good, perfectly fine player. As compared to attacking midfielders, stroke wingers, dribbles completed 85th percentile, progressive carries, 81st percentile, progressive passes, 74th percentile, but expected goals, one percentile, expected assists, 26th percentile. He's the player we thought, and we sold him, and we got good money, and we moved on, and I just think oh, we'll
2: thought...
1: Yeah, yeah, well, and, and you know, how do you replace that? I think it is the point that, you know, Clive says he doesn't love any players, they're all replaceable to some extent, but if a young player isn't really showcasing that precocious talent at what level do you have to say sure we could get burned they could blow up they could be something incredible but we're going to be decisive you know and and sometimes that burns you i you know i fully acknowledge it but more often than not being decisive is the right way to go one way or the other um i want to leave it there because we have uh, Aaron West coming up next and I'm really excited for that chat uh, as opposed to this one, obviously. So uh, let me say goodbye to Paul. He's on Twitter at Paws in My Pants. Thanks, Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Very right. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberta. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Yeah, we'll have um, uh, a pod tomorrow with Scott for patrons, uh, his sort of analytics pod going over uh, everything and I'm sure... Uh, The odds of where Arsenal can finish in the table will prominently feature in that. So if you want to uh, have a sobering reminder of the challenge ahead, you can listen to that. I sure, Clive will swerve it. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll tell you about some interesting stuff. And then after the break, Aaron West from CBS Sports is coming up. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast, and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, and now I'm delighted to speak to Aaron West. He covers the Champions League for CBS. He hosts La Liga Zone uh, and does a lot of great content that you're going to want to be able to follow and track down. You can start by doing that on Twitter at OSD. Did I say that right?
5: Oeste, Oeste. 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 Yeah, you, you were close enough. Okay,
1: O-E-S-T-E. I, I spoke French in school, not Spanish, so I apologize for uh, wasting my time on that. Not bad as an Arsenal fan, to be fair. Having a little bit of the French uh, in your in your locker, but you are you are an Arsenal fan, Aaron. I mean, how did that befall you?
5: Um. So it when i was 12 years old like i grew up my parents were not soccer people we were introduced to soccer by my mom's best friend and i like i was introduced to soccer by like ix highlight tapes and things like that so like ix highlight tapes and like reading about soccer mm-hmm. um when i was 12 years old it was like 98 um i just watched the world cup and i was like i need to pick a team like i like i need to pick it i was like serious about football i was like i want to be a pro i like need to pick a team to follow and like really be serious about it so uh, the first thing I picked was Juventus because um, I'd like watched them. I watched like a highlight tape of them beating Ajax in the Champions League final. I like, yo, loved the uniforms. I like researched the club. I saw Edgar Davids. I was like, okay, that's gonna be my team. And then like kept going, and you know, I could like have like a second team. I think. And Thierry Henry had just left Juventus for Arsenal. I loved Henry, even like the little bit I had seen of him. I loved what Arsene Wenger was doing over it arsenal i like i love the black players there i was like super into black the black players and like role models i could see myself in at the time and i like at arsenal of course it's like black player heaven <laughs> <laughs> I, I like i looked at arsenal i was like all right that's my second team i'm gonna be that's gonna be my team and so literally like 12 13 years old uh, i picked up arsenal and i i had a lot of good years and now i I'm, I'm, i've had the pain <laughs>
1: yeah yeah, I think we're, we're all sort of uh, in that position where a lot of American fans in particular came to Arsenal at a really good time uh, and didn't know what we were signing up for ahead of time. But uh, yep. love is love. Yep. So yep. You, now, now we're stuck. Um, we'll get to some of the stuff yeah. you, you've done in terms of interviewing footballers and things like that in just a little bit. Um, one thing that I think is really a hot topic right now at Arsenal are the young players. That's really the excitement of the season. Um, there's still a lot to play for. There's the Europa League. There might be a, a top six or even a top four finish. I'm not so sure about the latter, but but really, I think when people look back on this moment, they're going to be thinking about, in particular, you know, Smith Rowe certainly, Martinelli maybe, but in particular, Bukayo Saka. So, I mean, how it seems like such a, a layup to just say how impressed have you been with Bukayo Saka? But are you surprised by the extent to which he's sort of shot up? I think of some of these other players whether it's Jaden Sancho or or uh, Phil Foden, there was a little more I think build up to their hype before they reached some of the level they're at whereas Saka yeah. went from being kind of impressive to now just exploding onto the scene. So how do you think about his development generally?
5: Um, I'm surprised to be honest. Like you mm-hmm. could see his talent when he broke through and you could see, oh, holy shit, this kid has a high ceiling. His highs are going to be high. But I think the thing that surprised me the most is that his lows are not low. Mm. When you get young players, um, that's the thing is like, oh, sometimes they're going to be incredible. Sometimes they're going to be awful because they're teenagers. Um, with Saka, the thing I've most been impressed by is like in the biggest moments, he has been the one to step up. And even when the team's not playing well or even, even if he's not like, I would say playing particularly well, he never drops off a lot where it's like, oh, he needs to be subbed. Oh, he's a liability. Oh, his head's out of it. I would say the consistency in performance from him has been the biggest surprise where it's like this kid plays like a, a, like a prime professional. When when it, he's needed, he steps it up. And when he's not that great, he's still like, OK, we can rely on him, which yeah. is like That's crazy to say about like an 18-year-old, like, whatever he is, 18, 19.
1: <laughs> and I think it, it speaks volumes for the fact that Arteta literally couldn't find any rest for him. I mean, obviously, he finally sat him down for the Leicester game, and I think, surprisingly, the team managed a result there, maybe showing the importance of freshness in a, in a season with such a congested fixture schedule. But in terms of Saka's place among the emerging young talents in the game, I mentioned Foden, I mentioned Sancho, certainly in the England team, that's kind of the the triumvirate I think that you're going to hear about. Do you have a sense you know as someone who watches all the leagues and, and really takes in football globally where he sits in that um, in that pyramid of, of emerging young stars?
5: Um, yeah I would say he's very high up there <laughs> um, like you when you talk about talent just like is the number one like it's far and away um phil Phone's really really em- emerged this year as a very 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 talented young player um but i watched bukayo saka uh and i see i see a kid who is very very mature um and he has like that it's, it's a it's a maturity it's like okay he's my my mom i'm from the south my mom's my mom when she sees like a mature little kid she's like oh he's been here before uh there's like that that kind of like oh they 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 understand what's going on they're like ready for this already and i I see that in him um for sure yeah i i like i would put him in in probably the top five young talent Mm, under 20 right now yeah Uh, um don't put me on the spot and give me a, ask me to give me a full list, but I would say for sure <laughs> five, top top ten at least. Um, they like yeah, he's he's got something special and, and like I, I try to be unbiased relatively as an Arsenal fan. Like you'll see my tweets when we're bad, I will tell you we're <laughs> bad. Uh, but yeah, this he he has something that's that's really really different, I think, and and I'm really excited to watch him grow, and I I try not to get too excited about kids because. There's so much that can happen in someone, anyone's life just outside of football and that's, and then you step on a football pitch and anything can happen. So I'm just really excited to see his his development and I, I have, I do have really high hopes for him.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. You can look at a player like Jack Wilshire, whose body didn't hold up enough for him to maybe have the career we might've thought. then you can look at a player like Samra Nasri, who's personality for lack of a better way to put it is his life choices maybe didn't allow him to have the career he might have. So yeah, always hard to predict that trajectory. Although Saka seems to have a great head on his shoulders. I mean, do you think it's fair to say injury notwithstanding that between Smith Rowe, Martinelli and Bukaya Saka, Arsenal have the rarest of, of trios in, in terms of players who may be of a similar caliber at the same time in their career all coming through together. I mean, do you, it's it's hard to project that all three will reach that, that same level, but they certainly all seem to be in that plane of talent. Or do you think that's overstating it with a couple of them?
5: No, no, I think, um, I think I do think Saka is, is a bit ahead of them in terms of, in terms of what his ceiling is. I think Martinelli is going to be a very, very special player. I think, Smith Rowe also has a very high ceiling but like Saka to me kind of seems like he has like a little bit of that it factor that like could could propel him to being like world world class where the, mm. I think Smith Rowe and Martinelli will be like very very good players but Saka like to me has that something that there that, that could propel him to being legitimately like oh damn this kid's one of the best in the world for real mm. um but yeah, you don't often get that in in youth development. In when when you get that number of players coming through, like with with Man City, it was it was Foden really breaking through. He was the one that they started putting on the bench. Young, um, yeah, Zinchenko's. He's actually not that young, so now he doesn't he doesn't count. No, it was it was <laughs> Foden for them. Um, for Chelsea, it was you. It was probably Mason Mount. Um, you don't often like. I'm not going to (laughs) say, please don't quote me as saying this is the same echelon. But like when, when Xavi and Iniesta came through together, like that was Xavi Iniesta and Busquets kind of all came together at the same time. Really Busquets is a little bit younger, but like that was a a really rare period where it's like these kids all came through at the Academy at the same time. And then just emerged into the first team. That's something that again, please don't put them in the same category because some Mm-hmm. Players, you know, uh, and I think Arsenal boys can be very damn good, but I'm not going to put them in the same breath. But yeah, it's, well, it's something like really cool to see uh, three guys it, come through the academy just and emerge into the first team right around the same time. Like it's, it's and it's special. Like it, that's something that that carries through. That that's something that forms a locker room connection that like can build, especially if they can can get a couple trophies under their belt together. That's something that builds legacies in a, in at a club.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I don't know that I would have said they're and Niesta and Messi personally, but you said it, it's out there and uh, you're committed to it. So it's it's fine. I have no problem with that at all. <laughs> um maybe, maybe there's more of a united class of ninety two quality. I know, you know, now look, Martinelli is not an academy guy, but players that come through at the same time, come of age at the same time, that all want to achieve something together and um you know, it's, it's easy to forget also, you know, Rob holding sort of a arrived at a young age. Um, William Saliba, we don't know what'll happen with him, but a young player that may have a future at Arsenal, fingers crossed. And Gabriel's not that old, old Tierney only 23. So I tend to be a little bearish on Arsenal's transfer business and squad building, but you know, Hey, if you strike it rich with three t- teenagers coming good all at the same time, that that's a great way to shortcut shortcut the, the project, which leads me to the Arteta question. Um, you know, it's been the weirdest season, Aaron. I can't remember a coach getting as close to feeling like it had to end and turning it around. And that Chelsea game, it felt to me, you know, like we get turned over by Chelsea here. We got 12 goals through 13 games. We're in the relegation zone. Like, does it have to end? And instead, he he throws in Martinelli, and he throws in Smith Rowe, and he goes to the back four, and we win that game, and the trajectory's just taken off from there. I mean, have you been won over by it? Do you, st- do you still have concerns based on how the season started? And, I mean, do you think it's fair to say, I-, I can't think of one. Maybe you can think of a situation where it got that close to the abyss and seems to have really aggressively moved away from it.
5: Uh, I cannot recall. Firstly, I cannot recall any manager, like, really kind of pulling it back from that point. Maybe Oli. I would say mm-hmm. Oli yep. Gunnar. Solskjaer is probably the only one who's like really where everyone's been only out, only out and then kind of turned it around and they're like, all right, maybe he can stay. Um, but it was really before that match. I was, I was on board with, if the, I wasn't like get him out of here, but if the board had made the decision to get him out of there, I wouldn't have been upset and I wouldn't have said it was a bad decision. Mm. Um, and now it's like, I'm not fully won over. Uh, I'm not like 100% this is the manager for our next five years, but I do have a lot of glimmers of hope. I do, I believe before the the kind of plummet in form, I saw the the bare bones of what I thought was a, a project, a good project. And I, I think I made a video about this for CBS. Um, I saw the bare bones of what I thought was going to be a very strong project, and I still do. Um, the way that the organization is so much better. Um, the the organization in defensive stages, the organization in build-up play. Um, and I think I'm very happy with the progress that we've seen so far. I still, my issues are often with team selection with, with Arteta. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if that will change or some some managers, even if you give them better players, they still make baffling decisions. Um You can so just say William.
1: Is- we're all friends here. You can just say William <laughs> by name, man. We're all we're all friends. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
5: Uh Willian's one of those. w Louis persisting is one of those. Mm. Um, but just in general, like my my the big question mark hanging over Arteta for me is if you give him better players, will he pick the right ones? Um but otherwise, I'm I'm like pleasantly surprised that he has turned it around. And and when I say turned it around, what we're still tenth, uh, like we're pushing Champions League places or, or pushing for the title. We're we're struggling still as a club where Arsenal should be. But I have I see do I do see signs of positivity, which is not something I'd expect to to say uh, before that Chelsea match.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, look, <laughs> I can be opinionated. <laughs> I don't think there's any secrets there. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I had personally gotten to that abyss, I think, right before the Chelsea game. And and I, I find myself now really being won over by the, the job he's doing coaching. I think my question is, did the club maybe extend him too much responsibility too early in his career in the sense that he's working with a relatively inexperienced director of football in Edu? Arteta's in his first job, and now he's manager, and he has all of these responsibilities that extend beyond just the coaching work that he has to do. And I I worry that the strain of all of those responsibilities, you know, you, you can have great ideas about football and be great at communicating them and as a young coach really develop. But can you also know how to operate in the market? Can you also know how to manage contracts? Can you also know how to, you know, manage a squad of different personalities and egos? I, I wonder if maybe the club, Aaron, through a lack of real oversight at the most executive levels. Have given Arteta so much responsibility that it sets him up almost to fail in some ways because it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot for a first-time coach to then have those other responsibilities layered on. him.
5: Yeah, I, I think there are 100% still questions about <laughs> the executive decisions that are being made and who has final say, who has the bulk of the decisions, who is directing the overall strategy and what that overall strategy is. So, I this, this summer will be massive, Um mm-hmm. in terms of I, I do think I will say uh, this January or whatever the transfer the the winter transfer window uh, came through is was very very productive in terms of getting some of the wages off our books yeah um, in terms of, of kind of trimming the squad down and and like setting the stage for what comes next so that gives me hope mm-hmm. so th- from th- from that perspective I do think I'm like mildly optimistic. I would say, yeah.
1: Mildly optimistic? I'll take that. That's better than where we were not too long ago. And, and yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing you talk about, Arteta picking the right team, he definitely seems to feel safest and most comfortable when he's got some senior leadership in there. He likes picking Louise. He likes picking Shaka. He likes to have a Willian on the pitch or yeah. a, a Lacazette or an bombing. And I can understand how a young manager would want players that are more experienced, older, that can communicate his ideas. But... You know if you look at the squad and where its strength is and where it's going maybe with the exception of Thomas Party a lot of it is built into younger players central defenders who are younger attacking players who are younger and he's gonna have to trust them I, I think to really explore the ceiling of where the team can go um before I let you go I, I want to get to just some fun stuff that you've done personally because you've had the chance to interview some incredible footballers um it's it's one of the I would imagine the most fun parts of of what you do. I saw you you interviewed um, Robert Lewandowski recently and saw the video of you guys fixing your hair and getting all set up and ready to go. (laughs) One thing I really admire about the way the interviews you do seem to work out is it feels like you're able to really pull out the personality of the players and connect with them and and humanize them and then get more interesting responses instead of some of the sort of typical um, boilerplate that you get in a lot of these player interviews. So, is there yeah. do you have sort of a, a mindset you go into before talking to these players and how do you calm yourself because these are obviously huge global superstars of the game and uh, it must be somewhat intimidating at times to to know that you're going to sit down and speak with them or at least during the pandemic sit down across from a video platform and speak with them
5: Yeah I um I'm just in general extremely interested in people and like what makes them tick So it doesn't really matter who the person is Uh, and most of the time if I'm interviewing someone, I know a lot about them already. So I know a bit about their personality. Mm. Uh, I've seen interviews with them. I know how they react to certain things, but I just, I, I've always been naturally pretty good with people and just naturally kind of calm with people. Mm. My, my personality, like I don't really, I'm, I'm pretty laid back overall. (laughs) Uh, So I, I wouldn't say it's anything I do in general, but I just, having been an athlete and just having been around my, my dad was an elite athlete. He was a coach. He was the first black coach at ACC at UNC Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just, I grew up around athletics and just understanding what makes elite athletes tick. So it's, it's kind of cool for me just to talk to each of these guys and kind of parse out what it is that makes them different, but also just so similar. Like we're all athletes, like we're all pretty competitive. And in general, most of these guys are pretty good people too. So the I think that's a side that a lot of fans don't really think about is like they're actually just people. Like they have families. They like like they hang out on their own. Uh, they don't just play football. They are, they just happen to be really good at football. That are and they're people. Uh, so that that's that's the fun part for me is just picking out what like makes him – unique as a person.
1: <laughs> yeah, just people with their multicolored Lamborghinis. That's just just people. Um uh, yeah, no, exactly. I, I think that's a great thing but to remember. And more money than yeah, <laughs> and maybe a good thing to remember when it comes to engaging on social media and things like that. They are people. Um is there is there one though that maybe you couldn't get the heart to stop racing that you, you struggled to get yourself calm?
5: <laughs> um I wouldn't say in particular it was the per- because of the person. The Angel Di Maria interview I did, mm-hmm. PSG, was, made me nervous because I did it in Spanish. Oh, wow. And okay. so I just, like, I, it's obviously not my first language, and I speak Spanish decently, but, like, you get put on camera and you're speaking Spanish live. I was like, uh, I, my heart was racing before that one. But, yeah, in terms of just people overall, I don't – there are, there are there's like a, a list of people that's like maybe five long that would make me like freak out like that. It's like mm. Ronaldinho, original Ronaldo, I think Zidane. Um, honestly, beyond that, I don't know how many more would really make me freak out. <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I could put a list together for myself. It'd be a lot longer than that. But uh, I, I also, my approach is a little different. You, you know, you, you're likable and, and you, you get... To people to like you I I try to be uh off-putting and um difficult to connect with as a a human being so that strategy hasn't worked as effectively for me I know you have a hard (laughs) stop and and I definitely don't want you to think of me as a guy that kept you over because we'd love to have you on again in the future um but people can look for you uh during Champions League coverage at CBS Uh, La Liga Zone anything else that we should be on the lookout for or just generally keep an eye out
5: just generally keep an eye out. Yeah, if it's happening, you'll see it on my Twitter.
1: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and I, I would have chatted with you about FIFA because I know you're big into FIFA, but I, I'll i admit, Aaron, I don't understand 90% of the stuff you're talking about there with the cards and the players. We'll, but We'll
5: save that for part two. We'll, okay. we'll have to do another one soon.
1: I need an education on that. Thanks, Aaron. You can find Aaron on Twitter at OSday.
5: Yes, that's yep. the one you finally <laughs> oh. got it. I'm all right,
1: and, and just all those other places. Thanks so much, Aaron.
5: Yeah, thank you, man. Have a good one.
1: Yeah, you bet. All right, my name's Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, we'll have more for you coming up. But in the meantime, we love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Burnley No.